Is it back on? There we go. I'm old at this. I haven't figured this out yet, this new fandangled thing here. Um, good morning, everybody. I'm thrilled to be back up here. It's been a while. Um, I took some time this summer to just hang out with my family, get up into the mountains, and then this little thing called school started. Trying to get school started in an con- ongoing pandemic has been interesting, a little bit busy, not too much to do. You know, nothing that anybody's uh, stressed or tense about or anything like that. Um, but we are doing well. The best thing is that kids are back in school and they love being back there. Teachers are thrilled to have them back. Parents are more than excited to have them back. All right. And they do the happy dance every morning when they're dropping them off. I've never seen a parent drop them off quicker and dash off again. So it's been a good time, but I'm excited to be back up here doing this part of the series that we're in about family values at Arbor. You know, the, the, the vision here is to help people find and follow Jesus together. And to do that, we have these family values that we've been talking through. Live invitationally, engage consistently, grow spiritually, give generously, and serve sacrificially. You see, I had to write them down because right now my brain is at capacity. I don't remember a lot of things right now. I can barely remember my own kids' names. Morgan came over the other day and I kept calling her Abigail. And she goes, Dad, I'm the oldest. I'm Morgan. So if I have to look at my notes a lot today, please forgive me because I feel like, you've ever had information overload between protocols and all these other things we're doing? I'm like, I can't even, I have to make lists again. I'm literally writing things down on a piece of paper and crossing them off. Maybe I'm not the only one that does that, but that's where I'm at today. But I'm excited to dig into these and I get the one of grow spiritually. And I'm excited to do this because while I'm not good at growing things like in nature, I, I, I hope that I have figured out some tenets from the faith of growing spiritually. Maybe you've got a green thumb. Maybe you can grow things well. I cannot. People have found out long ago, don't give Scott a plant. Don't give Scott flowers. Don't give anything that requires, you know, sunshine, nutri- nutrition, water, because it's just going to die. But if you are good at gardening, if you are good at growing things, maybe you like to grow a flower bed. Maybe you have a garden. Maybe you can grow a really nice tree in your yard. Really, you can grow grass, not that kind of grass, a yard full of grass, all right? We have to say that and clarify that in the Northwest. Maybe you're really good. Maybe you've got a perfectly manicured yard, all right? Now, I could do that. I loved it when I had a yard. But you realize that when we're growing things, there's proper soil, water, varying amounts of sunshine and weather and climate and nutrients that need to go into that to properly grow it. And if you are attentive to these needs and details, then you can grow a healthy yard, a garden, a flower bed, and maybe even some shrubberies, all right? Much like the things that I've tried to grow, I'm just not very good at it. And I think oftentimes that's how we look at this Christian term of grow spiritually, Oh man, I've tried all those things. I've tried to do that. I've tried to do this. I've tried to model that expert gardener. I tried to model this arborist. I tried to model something I saw on HGTV in my yard. And I've tried to do that in Christianity, Scott. And it's just, I can't do it. And it becomes this list of things that we need to do. Rather than some things we need to be. And I will tell you one thing about people that are good at gardening. It's because they just love being in the garden. It comes from somewhere inside of here. And when something comes from inside of here, it doesn't feel like something you have to do. It feels like something you enjoy and you find a pleasure in. We are called to grow as believers, to bear fruit, 
to gain maturity, to leave behind our childish ways. Scripture tells us that we'll be known by our fruit, the fruit that we walk in of the Spirit. And so we have this idea in Scripture that we're supposed to grow spiritually. And I could stand here and I could give you a list of five things. In fact, if you got on Google today, you could Google grow spiritually as a Christian and you'd find 10 ways to grow spiritually. Five things you must do to be a growing Christian. The eight top resources for growing as a Christian. You could find all of that online. I could talk through those, and those things are important. I don't want to go into this message today not saying that we don't need to study and meditate daily on the Word of God. I don't want you to think that we don't need to communicate with God in our prayers and petitions with Him on a daily basis. I don't want to say it's not important that we need to find out what Scripture tells us to do and obey it. I don't want to say it's not important to gather together in fellowship because you can't do spiritual growth alone. But while we look at all those things, my fear is it becomes a list. It becomes a task. And what that leads to is the very thing that Jesus despised about the Pharisees. It becomes about haughtiness. It becomes empty. It becomes vain. And it removes the aspect of grace. Because it doesn't come from here. It's an external. And we want this to be an internal growth that Jesus wants us to do. So I'm going to take us sideways a little bit, and rather going through a list of things we should be doing, I want to look at maybe what's the heart of spiritual growth. What is the heart and nature of what it means to grow spiritually? And we're going to go to one of the most difficult books in the Bible, the book of Hebrews. It is one of the most challenging books in the Bible to study. In fact, it was written to challenge, encourage, and empower Christians. The whole point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the law, and he was the high priest. Not one of the high priests that came along along the lines, but he was the high priest. And he was perfect. And while he was man, he was sinless. So the whole point of Hebrews, all right, is that since God has given us Christ, we ought to listen to what he says and not move backwards, but instead grow towards maturity. In fact, Paul uses that word mature in Hebrews. We need to move towards Christ's likeness. Hebrews shows us that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's purpose for mankind. And because he's superior to all other priests, he's the one that we should be growing towards and in. Hebrews 5 is unique because it camps out between two passages of Hebrews 4 setting up this priesthood and it digs into this priesthood of called the priesthood of Melchizedek. And I'm not going to get into that today, but if you want to dig deep in your theology, you can do that. But Hebrews 5 sets up this idea of here is why Jesus was the perfect priest for us, the perfect sacrifice. And then it tails into chapter 6 of, by the way, because of that, you need to be growing as Christians. So I want to look at some passages out of Hebrews 5 and see if we can put together the heart of what it means to grow spiritually today. Let's pray. God, God, you know that I feel a little bit scattered today. You know that my mind is full of a lot of things. So God, I pray that you would bring peace and clarity to my mind, that you'd move me out of the way, and that we'd hear from you today. God, I pray that you would give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and feet that want to follow your words. I thank you, Jesus, for your truth and your name. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
basic tenets of priesthood. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself but receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. If you're an underliner, a highlighter, I want you to highlight a couple things here. He is, verse two, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant or going astray. I want you to underline that part. We're gonna come back to it. The next thing I want you to underline is this, all right? Since he himself is subject to weakness. The first thing I want to dive into today is this idea of weakness. I read a book once called Descending into Greatness. It's the idea that if you're not aware of your own weakness and you're not entering into Christ with humility, you're going to be doing everything for selfish gains. See, growing spiritually is not about attaining perfection. Rather, it's about seeing our weakness perfected in Christ through Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Our spiritual growth is despite us and all because of Jesus. Growing spiritually is less about what we do and more about what he did. It's a continual effort to get to know Jesus and recognize that because of him, I have the opportunity to grow despite my weakness. Because where I am made weak, he is strong. And through my weakness, he is made known. So the first role that Jesus shows us that made him profound is that he was weak as a man, but powerful as God and did not sin. And in that weakness, he can relate to our weakness. And as a priest relates to his own weakness and has to offer sacrifices, not only for the sins of others, he's very aware that I have to deal with my own weakness and sin first. So if you want to grow spiritually, you need to have a cognitive awareness of your own place in God. It's not that we dwell on our weakness and we sit in ashes and we beat ourselves up for it. It's that we're aware that I am no different than anybody else with whom I'm walking or who I'm trying to teach or who I'm trying to disciple or who I'm trying to partner with and live with. We both come at this with weaknesses. And Jesus came to earth and took on weakness and walked in that. Jesus had zero sin. He did experience everything else that we experience. So he understands that when you're trying to get over something or get past something, how difficult it is. He was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. At one point, he had to tell Peter, get behind me, Peter, like Satan. Get behind me because what you're saying now is tempting me to step away. His last night on earth, he said, Father, if you can take this cup from me, please. But not my will be done, but yours. The idea of Jesus being weak is strange to us in our society. But we have to think of being weak, not as a weakness. It's the idea of meekness, power under control, recognizing our call and privilege in life, that we are here as children of God because of what he did for us. This other aspect here of able to deal gently with those who are growing, who don't know as much, who are still learning, who haven't heard the gospel. I fear that sometimes as we look at growing spiritually, it's like, I want to know more than others. And then we go about trying to banter that in a way that isn't very gentle. But the Greek here, when it says gentle, it's two things. It's the idea that when we go to a priest or we go to our heavenly father, or our priest, and we talk to him about our weakness, we're not going to get ashamed. We're not going to get, you know, put down. We're not going to be held in this despicable manner. And yet at the same time in the Greek, we're not going to get coddled either. Because our Father loves us too much to leave us the way we are. So this, this dealing gently with people is the idea of, 
I'm here to not shame you, but I do want to provide some coaching, correction, rebuke, direction. Because we are weak, and we need that from Jesus. But if we go into a relationship trying to grow spiritually, we don't recognize that, one, we are weak and we need him. Two, he will deal gently with us, but give us what we need to know. Then we're going to have the wrong attitude. We're going to think that this growing is about me getting stronger, me being strong and powerful, so I can tell people what they're doing wrong and I can dispose all my wisdom onto others. You know, I've been there. For a long time, I thought I knew everything. I may not have said that or known it, but it was the way I carried myself. This idea that I had the answers. And sometimes the best thing to say is I don't know all the answers, but I'm gonna find them with you. We need to remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The first point I want you to take away today is this. Our growth is planted in weakness, but rooted in God's grace. Our growth is planted in weakness, but rooted in God's grace. If you don't understand that, then you're starting down the path on the wrong foot. So we start down the path recognizing we are weak. Second thing I want to look at is in chapter, is verses five through six. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. As a mediator between God and men, a priest cannot simply choose to be a priest, he's appointed. The son was appointed by God to come to earth and he obediently followed. And he followed to the death on the cross for us and then he rose again. And he sits under the leadership of God the Father. <clears throat> now it's our turn as earthly examples of that, to show how we can humbly follow God and sit under God and follow his lead. You know, it's an interesting thing, this thing called humility. Um, I was just dealing with some students at the school a couple weeks ago. School had started. And for some reason, any of you know what Foursquare is at recess? Yeah, I'm just telling you right now, I have more conflict with Foursquare than any other game at my school. It's like, it's an Olympic competition you know, and the kids laugh because I'll go out and I'll be like, guys, stop, 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 all right? We're, we're, just this is not the Olympics, all right? You're not trying to get the Czechoslovakian world trophy, all right? We're just playing Foursquare. And this one kid likes to taunt because he's really good at Foursquare. I'm not joking. The kid's got moves and he's slick and he does like the snake eye double bounce look and they're like, you can't do that and all this. So I'm talking with him. With three other kids trying to resolve this conflict, and they keep telling him, you're just not nice. And he looked right at me and goes, well, you all suck. <laughs> and I'm like, that, I appreciate we're being honest and open here, but you, can you say that differently? He goes, well, the problem is, Mr. H, there's just nobody out here that can play to the, play to the level that I can play. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. I'm like, we got a little bit of humility going on. We need some dose of humility here, a little pride happening. And one other boy says, why do you think you're all that? And I'm like, well, this is good. So the conversation went on and on. And finally at the other end, the other kid, we got to this conclusion. He goes, I think what I'm learning is that even though I'm better than everybody, I need to be nice about it. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm gonna take it. 
20 minutes later, I'm taking it. I'm, that's enough humility to start with for me right now. All right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change his mind about anything else, but I'll take that. They all fist pounded. They walked back outside. So hopefully on Monday when we go back, even though he knows he's better than everybody else, he's gonna be nice about it. That's not the humility we're looking for here. Although, I'll take it if that's your journey right now where you're at. If you could just be nice, I'm happy. No, it reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I tell my kids, read Philippians 2, it's not about you. I love that. And that's one of my tags in life. Hey, just settle down. It's not about you. There's something bigger going on here. And so if we look at Philippians 2, it says this about talking about Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as mad, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Growing spiritually is an act of humble obedience to our Savior Jesus and God the Father, because it is about his glory. It is a mindset, that positioning of the heart that is essential to growing spiritually. We do not seek to grow for our glory. We seek to grow God's glory. And if you don't get that, and you're forgetting your own weakness, and you still think, oh, I'm better than everybody, I'll just be nice about it, people are going to see right through that. My next point, we seek to grow for God's glory not for our glory. We seek to grow for God's glory, not our glory. Let me tell you, there's something about growing in the Bible. When you start to learn a lot of stuff, you want to walk around. I remember having, when I was a youth pastor and kids would be coming back from seminary school, they wanted to tell you everything they've learned and all this stuff. And I love listening. But at some point I'm like, okay, you're, you're, you're learning a lot. What's the reason you're learning it? Why? So keep that in mind. It's not about us. Our growth is not just about us. It's about something bigger than us. Humility. Let's move on to chapter 7. Sorry, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. You need to circle this verse. This is one of my, like, when I'm feeling off balance and I'm thinking, God, you don't care, you don't understand, I go back to this verse right here. I'm going to read it again. Listen to this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he was here. He walked this messed up ball of mud that we're all in right now. He lived it, he breathed it, he struggled on it. He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. He lived the life, he felt it to the one who could save him from death. And yet God said, I'm not going to. This is your calling. And he was heard because of his, because of his reverent submission. Prayers and petitions. There's some differences here. Prayers are the con is the conduit of knowing God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our conversation within. Petitions is for ourselves and for others, things we're asking God for. And then the last thing is the idea of fervent, this idea of, passion, authenticity. These prayers and petitions are not these scripted prayers, these cliches that we come up with. I mean, how often have you sat down to pray, Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. May it bless and nourish our body and help all those who don't have food be fed today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I'm guilty of it. I have these cliches I use in my prayers. I get before God and I start saying the same thing over and over. And in scripture, he says, I don't want to hear all your vain repetitions. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear the good, the bad, the ugly. Because he's going to turn around and tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly about yourself. And so if you want to engage in a conversation with God, you've got to get real. And it's no different than if you're on earth with friends. How do you get to know your friends? How do you build relationships with people? You can't live at the surface level of always saying, how's it going? Good. Is it fine? It's fine. And you move on. That's like low-level intimacy. It's like the guy at 7-Eleven that I walk into and every Thursday when I'm stressed, I get a Slurpee. I don't know why. It just makes me happy. And I go, how's it going? Good. I might know his name. All right, have a good one. Hope the Seahawks win. Good. I walk out the door. I don't stand there with that guy. And he goes, how's it going? Well, let me tell you, man, I'm falling apart. And this is it. I don't tell him my whole story. It's low-level intimacy. Then there's that level of intimacy where you've got some people in your life you can tell a little bit to and a little bit more to. But then there's that high level, the highest level of intimacy where people, they not only know you're crazy, but they've met your family and now they know why you're crazy. And they've heard enough of your story that they go, yeah, you really are messed up. And yet they can walk into your house and open up your refrigerator and grab something to eat and drink and sit down and talk with you and feel like part of the family. Our problem is we keep trying to build spiritual relationship and intimacy with God at low level. And we walk around with him acting like we have to be this and that every time we go before him. No. He wants you to walk into his house, open up the refrigerator, make a sandwich, get some sweet tea, sit down and say, can I tell you about my day? What the heck is going on? I am so irritated with this. Explain this one to me, God, because this makes no sense. Hey, I asked you to help me with this. It doesn't seem like I'm hearing anything. And yet you always do what David does in the Psalms. When he vents it out at the end, he goes, yet, yet, in my weakness, in my humility, not your will, my will be done, but your will be done. If you can't have authentic relationship with God, you're not going to grow. Here's my point. Authentic and vulnerable prayer builds relationship with God. Authentic and vulnerable prayer builds relationship with God. If someone were to walk in that door in the back and say, hey, I need a car to borrow, Scott, can I borrow your car? If I don't know the guy, I'm going to be like, ah, no, not really, I don't feel very good about that. All right? If Lauren were to walk through the back door and say, Scott, can I borrow my car? I said, it's going to cost you $20. (laughs) But I'd give him my keys... I'd give him my keys, I'd let him drive my car. Why? Because there's been trust over time to create a relationship where I know he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And trust and time with God of being vulnerable and open and authentic builds a relationship of authenticity. So this growth that you want to do with God starts in weakness, rooted in humility and God's grace, and realize that I got to be real or he's not going to be real with me. Well, he's going to be real with you no matter what. It's just a matter of you're going to receive it or not. So in your prayers and petitions, no more fake. He already knows it, so go tell him the truth. Continuing in this verse, the very last part, all right? And he was heard because of his reverent submission. This is... The word submit and submission is such a difficult old language word in today's language. It's more around the idea of obedience. It's the idea of, 
I know what you're asking me to do is the right thing, and I really am scared, frustrated, don't want to do it, yet I'm going to do it because it ties back in the thing I just said, I trust you. And that goes against our human nature. We do not want to trust other people. You don't believe me? Look at what we're dealing with in our country right now. <laughs> we don't want to trust anything. We want to figure it out for our own, and suddenly, everybody's an expert. <laughs> Suddenly, everybody's an expert. All right? We need to find the submission. The submission is one of reverence, not fear. We pray to God in a vulnerable and open manner, and we will experience a God that draws near to us as we draw near to him. As you go to God, he's going to come to you, and as he comes to you, you're going to discover he's not going to ask you to do something that he truly doesn't believe and know you can do. You just don't know it yet. How many of you in here have children? Raise your hand. Did you read any books before you had the child to try to help yourself? Raise your hand, be honest. Did you watch and walk around Target and other stores and go, oh, my kids are never going to do that. Oh, I'm not going to be that parent. Man, if this parent would just be more strict about this and that, how many, be honest, let's have some honesty in the room. You didn't know what you didn't know. Until you had your own kid and they were the one in Target throwing a fit because they couldn't get the ice cream cone. I am the one that's left a full grow of groceries in the store, you know, a full cart full of groceries in the store, took two kids out, put them in the car and left. Because I was too embarrassed to continue my shopping trip. What's the connection? The only reason you can submit and obey a God is because you believe he knows more than you know. The only reason we ask our kids to follow us and trust us is because we don't necessarily know intellectually more than them. We do at times, but we know life experience. We've been there. And let me tell you, the hardest one to sell that to is teenagers. So if you have teenagers right now, just tell them, hey, go ahead, move out, do it all on your own. You know everything, don't you? No, don't do that. <laughs> but how many of you felt like that with your teenagers? Would you just do what I'm trying to tell you to do? You're going to be happy later. They don't listen. We're no different. The next point is this. Relationship with God leads to trust and obedience. It's amazing now with my kids in college. I still don't know everything, but it's amazing how much wiser I've become in their eyes. It's amazing. They call me for advice. They ask me for advice. Like Abby called me the other day. She's getting ready to join a Bible study. I'm going to give a quick shout out. Where's Katie? Because of you, Katie. I'm not going to cry. You want to talk about relationship? Abby connected with the winters of summer babysitting at times. And you know how we go into homes and we're worried that people are going to see the mess of our home, not physically, just it's chaos, we got kids. My daughter walked away from that with a picture of someone that she wanted to be like. She called me yesterday online, FaceTiming, Dad, can you help me pick out a Bible? I'm going to join a Bible study. Because Katie said it would be a good idea. See, she wouldn't have done that two years ago because I think she's starting to figure out this relationship with God isn't about rules and to-dos and don'ts. It's about, wow, he actually cares about me. He wants to get to know me. And how do we do that? Because we have to trust him. And as we spend time talking to him and being authentic and real with him, we get to know him and we're like, okay, all right, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but okay. 
Let's move on. To, Katie, I hope I didn't embarrass you there. Let's move on to verse... <laughs> let's move on to verse 9, verse 8. For though he was... He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Underline this highlight. He learned obedience from what he suffered. You want to know how people truly grow? You're not going to like it. They experience discomfort and suffering. You cannot grow if you don't have pain and suffering. It's the old adage, remember Arnold Schwarzenegger? No pain, no gain. How many remember those skits he used to do? I'm here to pump you up. Any of Saturday Night Live fans back in the house? Yeah. The old adage, no pain, no gain. Well, now we've learned that you actually can get gain without punishing your body too much. But the idea is no pain, no gain. If you're an athlete, you remember doing sprints in basketball, all right? 17s, where you had to run across this line and back this line 17 times in under a minute. And if you didn't, we're doing it again. And you wonder why coach had two big garbage cans out there. I found out why one practice. All right? Anything that requires effort and work is going to require some discomfort and suffering. And Jesus suffered more than all of us. He was falsely accused. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was crucified. His family abandoned him. At one point, they thought he was crazy and wanted to put him away. His disciples argued. They never even fully got the picture of what he was trying to tell them. He watched his best friend die, and he had to bring him back from heaven to earth to show us that he could live. He suffered for all of us, all right? I could make a lot of analogies for you about what it means to suffer to get to a goal, like you know, learning to rock climb and sliding on the rock and you lose fingernails, all right? Learning to juggle sticks on fire. I've never done that, but I've always wondered, how do you learn to juggle sticks on fire? Like how many singed eyebrows do you have? How many calluses do you have on your fingertips? Anything you've tried to do that's difficult, you'd know there's been the discomfort and suffering. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. The verb translated is learn, which could mean a variety of things. I want you to listen to this, all right? It does not mean to gain knowledge or skill. That's not what it means Jesus learned from his suffering. He knew this was going to happen. Rather, listen to this, all right? It carries the meaning of coming to know something firsthand through personal experience. And I think that is what we are dealing with in this verse. Coming to, experience, coming to know something through personal experience. Go back to our child raising thing. You're some of you in the midst of it and you're learning through experience right now. You never thought you'd have to deal with that. How could a kid get pooped from here all the way up to here? How does that ever even happen? How could they make that big of a mess? You're experiencing things right now. And right now we need to be in our spiritual growth experiencing the mess that we're in with God. Jesus learned through his such struggles. He experienced life through his struggles. And the context is this. The focus of the verse is not so much on Jesus becoming aware of what he was suffering, but Jesus actually putting into practice what he's called to do. So you can dig into the word, you can do all your prayers, you can do everything, but are you willing to step out the door and put into practice what God's asking you to do? In my prayers, you always hear me say, ears to hear, hearts to listen, then feet to follow. Because if you don't step out the doors and put into practice and step into discomfort, you're not gonna grow. We like to sit in the coziness and the confines of the bubbles we've created for ourselves as Christians and not interact too much with out there that could cause us hurt or suffering. 
If you're going to love much, you have to give much. And if you're going to give much, you're going to hurt much. My last point here, spiritual growth requires discomfort and suffering. Spiritual growth requires discomfort and suffering. But Jesus is there to help you and walk through it with you. We're getting to the close here, verse 11 through 14. I title this section, Meat Eaters. If you're not a meat eater, that's okay. If you're vegan, that's okay. It can still apply to you, all right? I did, I did work at Antioch once, and I remember Hutch irritated a lot of people because he got up and he said, if God didn't want me to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. That was his like, reasoning for never going vegan. I go, I think there's some more things you need to learn there, sir, but you're right, animals are made out of meat. But it makes me think of Hutch every time I read this because he was like, I am a meat eater. So just a little throwback to one of my favorite pastors that I got to work for. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Wow, I got to unpack this in less than five minutes. And that's like a whole series right there. Let me try to make some good points here. You no longer try to understand. Your spiritual growth, you never reach a level of knowing it all. You never know it all. So quit acting like you do. Because then you become unteachable. And the moment you become unteachable, you quit growing. And the minute you quit growing, you become stagnant. And the minute you become stagnant, you become useless. And the worst thing in the world is Christians that know in their mind more than they think they know or more than maybe I know, but they're doing nothing for God. And you can read what God does with branches that no longer bear fruit. You can read what he does with salt that's lost its flavor in the scripture. Do not get to a point where you seek, you're no longer seeking to understand the truths of God. It says, let us move beyond these elementary teachings. Let us get forward in our growth and maturity in Christ. My concern is this. I wrote this down. I want to read it. The problem is, as Christians, we are more desirable about the facts and without any understanding of the relationship and connection between the facts and truth in the scripture, we live in a search engine mentality of theology and spiritual growth. We go to a search engine, what do I need to do for this? What do I need to learn about this? And we get immediate answers rather than trying to sit down with God and tell me, what is it you want me to learn? Show me your truth. Dig into it deeply. It's kind of like with my kids at times. I'm trying to give them instruction. And they're just looking at me. And I'm like, do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? <laughs> and I think God does that with us sometimes. He's like, do you understand the words coming out of my scripture? You're sitting here. In fact, if you look at chapter 6, it starts with, you're still wrestling over these fundamental truths that we all know to be true. You're sinners. Jesus died for you. He rose again. He's in heaven. You are selected children of God. Let's move on now to what I really need you to learn. The way you grow is you eat meat. You can't be the kid that gets up every morning and eats milk and cereal for breakfast. We got to get on to more solid food. Here's the last point. Spiritual growth is being a lifelong learner of God's word. Spiritual growth is being a lifelong learner of God's word. Hey, cereal's good. 
It's a great snack at night. One of my good friends, Joey, he goes, I hate cereal. I go, why do you hate cereal? He goes, it just makes me mad. I go, why does it make you mad? He goes, man, you eat a bowl of cereal, it didn't do nothing to you. It just sits there and just makes me more hungry for ribs or something. But that's how many of us are trying to fuel our spiritual growth. We're going into the easy parts of scripture that we've known since we were children. What about the parts that God's pushing you on? I know you were taught this, but have you thought about this? What about this aspect of your life, Scott, you really haven't dug into? Let's get into that and talk some more. Are you getting into the scripture to really get depth with God rather than just a wide breadth of knowledge? I always told kids in my youth group, I said, we could teach you everything. We could be a mile wide and an inch deep. But I'd rather go deep on a few things that are essential for you because once you go deep and then you start moving out, that's how you make influence. Let me close with this. Why do we need to be lifelong learners? One, so you can read the rest of Hebrews and better understand it. But more importantly, so you can be used more effectively by God. See, God desires mature, seasoned, humble Christians who know their weakness, embrace discomfort, walk in humility, and have a willing heart to obey God no matter what he asks them to do. Because it's not about their glory, it's about God's glory. And my hope at Arbor is that no matter what we do here, we keep God and Jesus at the center of everything we do because we couldn't be here without him. And that we grow towards him rather than walking away from him in our apathy and complacency. So I don't know where you are today in your spiritual growth. I don't know if you're wilting because there's been too much heat turned up in your life. I don't know if you're withering because you haven't had enough water or nutrition. I don't know if you're stagnant. I don't know if you're fruitless right now. You feel like you're not doing any good. Maybe you're healthy and you're growing. Maybe you've got cut down and you've been injured. Maybe you've overgrown and you've like not seen the large dominant shadow. You're poaching on everybody around you with your exposing knowledge and I know everything. Maybe you've just been too sheltered and you're like in the midst of the shadows of others. You feel like you can't grow on your own. Maybe you're depleted. The soil around you feels drained out. Wherever you are in your growth process, know this. We here at Arbor are here to walk with you, but more importantly, you serve a God that wants to walk with you. He invited his disciples into the garden. He pulled them aside and said, pray with me, for I am weak. Jesus is beseeching you, begging you, offering you, come on in here. Let's sit down and pray. Let's sit down and talk. Why? So I can grow to know you, but more importantly, you can grow to know me so you can serve me. Thank you, Arbor.